everybody, and welcome to Carving It Up Live right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. As always, I'm Bryson Carver. Great to be with you on this Wednesday, a jam-packed Wednesday. We're covering NFL, and what's crazy is, folks, I you know, should mention this, the NFL does not even lead our first two topics. How crazy is that? Okay, so we got some college football. We got some NBA, some LeBron talk to lead off the show. Obviously, some NFL. A little little bit of a discussion uh, between, in, in terms of the game between the Chargers and the Jets. It was kind of a, a snoozer, to say the very least. But I was watching that game, and I'm like, you know what? I had a take on the Jets that has aged quite well. So I'll, I'll get to that a little later on the show. Uh, looking forward to getting into that. Also, Bryson's best 10, my top 10 teams in the NFL going into week 10 of this season. Very, very excited. How crazy is it, folks? We're in week 10. Uh, and at the end of the show, I, I, I'd, be, I'd be lying to you if I said I was thrilled about doing this particular topic, but I predict all the games. Uh, this would be on Bryson's bleak bet if this game were on Sunday, but it's the Carolina Panthers. It's the Chicago Bears. Nobody cares about this game, but you know what? It's gonna be played. I'm gonna predict it. I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not just gonna ignore it. Uh, that doesn't mean I'm very excited about doing it. Got a comment here right off the bat. Of course, everybody, feel free to chime in in the comments section. Uh, Patrick Brown. Uh, here on the Grid Network, Grace, some great people just wrote a recent piece on uh, Victor Wimbenyama on the Grid Network's uh, 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 website. Be sure to check that out. He says, "Good evening and happy Wednesday." Good evening to you, Patrick. Nice day here in su Southern Indiana. Windy but warm. The same can be said, sir, about East Tennessee. I mean, come on now, we're, we're talking like darn near eighty. High today was 77, 78. And this is November the eighth. Well, I mean, what are we talking about? Like, this is this is unheard of stuff right here. So, you know, the fact of the matter is, I'm I'm very excited. Now it's going to get back to freezing cold weather in pretty short order. But uh, glad the weather's good. I guess the weather seems to be good, maybe around the country or at least here on the East Coast. Uh, there in Indiana for you, Patrick, and here in Tennessee for me. So very very uh, that that's always a good sign. I don't know if it's I don't know if it's always a good thing. I don't know if it's, if it's good. <laughs> If it's because the earth is literally on fire, I don't know. But that's a discussion for a whole different podcast. But first, let's talk NBA. Let's talk Lakers. Let's talk LeBron James. Might be the greatest basketball player ever. And certainly that topic is going to bubble up, so to speak, in this segment. It does every so once in a while. So, first of all, the Lakers are sitting there right now. They have a 3-4 and four record. They lost to the Miami Heat, LeBron's former team, who are also a part of this conversation. They lost by a final score of 108-107 to uh, in Miami. The Lakers' road struggles continue uh, to this point this season. LeBron James had an excellent game, scored 30 points, uh, but unfortunately for him, he kicked out to Cam Reddish at the very end uh, for a, a game-winning shot when he was double-teamed. Cam Reddish, a 15% three-point shooter, missed the shot, and uh, and the Lakers fell once again, like I said, 2-3-4. and four. But LeBron over Overall, is having a fantastic season. You look at his numbers overall. He's averaging 25, 8, and 6 on 56% shooting. So, year 21, we've talked enough. I talked about it last week and the week before that. Like, it's just, it's unheard of stuff what he's doing. We've had those conversations. But um, this discussion sort of arose about, okay, LeBron's coming back to play in Miami. He's played a lot of games in Miami as, as, as the road uh, guy. Played a lot of games there, obviously, for four years from 2010 to 2014 before he departed back to Cleveland, Ohio to get a championship for that city. But there was a tweet by Legion Sports, and we could put up the graphic right here if we have it. Uh, Legion Sports put up a tweet. It says, LeBron says he'd still be as dominant if he never went to the Miami Heat. Um, and, and it says, agree. And LeBron James retweets it. He quote tweets it. He says, you damn right I still would be. I'm chosen. Ain't nothing changing that. Maybe less rings, but dominant, dominant in all caps, from start to finish, end quote, 
from LeBron James. So LeBron is is emphatic in the in, in the fact that saying like, yeah, it'd still be great regardless if I went to Miami. I don't know if any serious person would argue about whether or not LeBron James is a great player if he if he doesn't go to Miami. But here's what I think is there's not that many athletes. I put LeBron at the tip top of this list. There's not that many athletes where the the forget the criticism. I would even argue the coverage around them is very inconsistent. And it's been the case for LeBron, I'd say, ever since he reached superstar status around 06, certainly 07. Remember, he had that game against the Pistons, the conference finals. What did he score? Was it 29 of the last the Cavs' last 30 points? It was a ridiculous performance. Helped him get to the finals and beat what was a dominant Pistons team in the early 2000s. Cavs got to the finals, lost to a significantly better Spurs team in 07. But you could see, like, okay, this 22-year-old kid, and we saw the chosen one when he's 16, like, this upward traje- trajectory, if he lives up to the expectations, he very well could be in the GOAT discussion. Here we are in 2023. I think, in my view, at least for the last seven years, which is to me when LeBron at least entered the GOAT discussion, 2016, when he uh, when he knocked off my Golden State Warriors in, in the finals, coming back from 3-1 down, is I think how long we've been having that GOAT discussion. But again, I find the criticism and the coverage of LeBron James very inconsistent. So, it's uh, it only makes sense to lead off of a, a midway show, midweek show of Carving Up Live. It's time for Carving Up the Context. Let's talk about LeBron James, how dominant he would be with or without the Miami Heat. As Deion Sanders says, give me my theme music. This edition of Carving Up the Context, as mentioned in you know just a second ago, is about LeBron James. So, LeBron says he'd be just as dominant with or without the Miami Heat. So, first of all, he's, of course, 100% right. Um, he would still be the all-time leading scorer in NBA history. He would just take, what's crazy is, take out those four years of Miami. Let's say he doesn't play basketball. Let's go to an imaginary world where LeBron from 2010, from October of 2010 to June of 2014, does not play an NBA dribble. Still has two MVPs. Still has two championships and two finals MVPs and has won with two separate franchises. Of course, he departed Cleveland the second time for the Lakers in 2018. Yeah, he'd still have a pretty darn good resume. Now, would he be in the GOAT discussion? Well, we don't really deal in hypotheticals on this show. Um, it's it's hard telling. Do I think he would have won a championship from 2010 to 2014? I have my doubts. That Dallas Mavericks team took out the freaking Heatles in 2011. That team was on a mission led by Dirk Nowitzki and Jason Terry and Jason Kidd, Tyson Chandler. That was a heck of a basketball team. 2011 Mavericks had the Cavs gotten to the finals that year. If they beat the Heatles with prime LeBron, prime Wade, prime Bosh, probably wouldn't have knocked them out anyway. The Cavs, that is. 2012? Eh, Oklahoma City, young group, it's dicey. Who knows what happens? 2013, they dang sure don't beat the Spurs. 2014, LeBron with the Heat, albeit a declining Dwayne Wade and a declining Chris Bosh and an older roster. Spurs blew them off the floor, and LeBron was really the only great player on that Heat team. So my guess is no, he probably doesn't get a championship in Cleveland from 2011 to 2014. But what I think is interesting about LeBron is that two things. Number one, 
we because I'm seeing a lot of people. Oh, LeBron has to tell us. Yeah, I'm the chosen one. He he has to tell us he's the chosen one. It's kind of like remember when he at, he at the ESPYs he made the official announcement he's coming back and basically sort of alluded to this is not verbatim. This is paraphrasing, but basically alluding to the fact like uh basically kind of you guys are lucky to see me and I said on my show the next show yeah we are lucky to see LeBron the NBA and I'm here to tell y'all right now I love Wimby. I think Wimby is going to be one of the greatest basketball players who ever lived. Said that last week. NBA will not be close to as popular as it is now when LeBron leaves. And LeBron's not even in his prime, but he's interesting. He talks about politics. He's still elite. He plays on a championship team. He plays on the most popular team, the Lakers, who happen to be in Hollywood. Entertainment capital of the world. LeBron is still a very interesting figure. That's not to say Wimby won't be. Not to say Jokic isn't, although Jokic isn't close to as interesting as LeBron. Steph Curry's interesting, but by the time LeBron retires, Steph won't be too far behind, neither will Kevin Durant. Giannis may be exiting his prime by that point. So yeah, the NBA will not be the same without LeBron James. We get mad at athletes for being authentic. Remember these, you know, these press conferences like, oh, these coaches, these players, they give us these PC answers, these cookie cutter. Yeah, on to next week, the Bill Belichick, on to Cincinnati. Oh, we get the same old thing. But then you ask an athlete like LeBron James to be authentic and you don't like it. So I find that quite inconsistent. So that aside, the other inconsistency that I find in the coverage of LeBron James, we get mad at him for leaving Cleveland, departing Cleveland for Miami in 2010. We have the decision. Oh, my God. So controversial, the decision. He announces he dumps Cleveland. That'd be like if your ex-girlfriend dumped you. I'm talking to guys, obviously. Heterosexual guys. If your girlfriend dumped you on national television, said, we're done in front of millions of people. Be quite humiliating. And I understand how the city of Cleveland, I don't have a lot of love for the city of Cleveland. I like the people. I just don't like their attitudes or sports. But I understand how the city of Cleveland could feel betrayed. Man, you just went on national television, interviewed by Jim Gray on ESPN for the whole world to see. Yeah, I'm done with you guys. Now, LeBron didn't say it in that tone, but that's how Cleveland took it. They can take it however they want to take it. People feel different ways in different situations. But uh, LeBron donated a lot of money to the Boys and Girls Club, so it wasn't all, you know, let's let's pull back a little bit. It wasn't all bad. We get mad at him for going to Miami, but then we're like, oh, he wouldn't have been as dominant in Cleveland. Well, what do you want LeBron James to do? Stay in an organization that would not and could not provide him the necessary help to win a championship? I looked this up. On the old Wikipedia, I know teachers, college and um, high school, you know, they tell you not to look at Wikipedia as a source. Uh, but in some instances, you, you should. It's the quickest way to, to get it. Let's look at the Cavaliers' first round draft picks since 03. From 03 to 2009, which was the start of LeBron's last season of his first stint in Cleveland. Let's look at their first round picks, shall we? Luke Jackson in 2004. Hmm. Didn't pan out. Shannon Brown in 06. J.J. Hickson in 08. And Christian, I hope I'm saying his name correctly, genuinely, Iunga. Again, I genuinely hope I'm saying his name correctly. Michael Jordan, on the other hand, you look at some of the first-round picks uh, since the Bulls took him third overall in 1984. Pretty good basketball players, I must say. They traded for Scottie Pippen. In 1986, they drafted Horace Grant 
in 1987. They drafted Tony Kukoc in the second round in 1990. So Jordan's organization did, did their job. Is that to diminish Michael? Of course not. Why I may think LeBron's the GOAT, that's not to diminish anything that Michael Jordan did. He is undeniably, I've heard people try and put Kareem over Michael. Love Kareem. He is not Michael. He's not. Objectively, he was not a better basketball player, at least in the NBA, than Michael Jordan. Got a lot of numbers to back that up. We can do that for another show. But what do you want LeBron James to do? Stay in Cleveland where they were putting unknown guys, unproven guys, and frankly guys who weren't that good? I mean, who is, let's name the, the second best Cavalier when LeBron James was there. Zadrunas Ilgowskis, Mo Williams, Anderson Verajau. These aren't exactly household names, ladies and gentlemen. Michael Jordan got Scottie Pippen, one of the 50 greatest basketball players who ever lived. He got Horace Grant, who won a championship with him in Chicago and got to a finals with Orlando in the mid-90s. He got B.J. Armstrong. He got Tony Kukoc, who was, by the way, the best European player to come to the NBA at that point. He got Steve Kerr, who was the best shooter in the NBA. And before that, he got John Paxson, who was one of the best shooters in the NBA. I'm supposed to rely on Dan Gilbert, which God bless Dan Gilbert. He's been through some, some stuff off court, and, and God bless him. I, I'm not. This is not a personal attack on him or, or anybody affiliated with him. But this notion that we get mad at LeBron for leaving Miami or Cleveland for Miami to go win rings. But we also get mad at him for saying he would have been just as dominant in Cleveland. So I'm lost in what do we want LeBron to do? And this has been this has been the story throughout LeBron's career. He can't win. Well, Jordan never saw a game seven. Yeah, Jordan also never came back from a 3-1 deficit on a 73-win team. Because he never faced a 73-win team. He never faced a 73-win team that had the second or third best player on planet Earth. And Kevin Durant, the last two years LeBron was in Cleveland. Matter of fact, the best team ever, at least I think, the 2017 Warriors. You know, the only team to put one single solitary defeat on their postseason resume is LeBron and the Cavs. By the way, LeBron leaves Cleveland, worst team in the league. They get Kyrie Irving as a result. LeBron leaves Cleveland again in 2018. Bottom two record in the NBA. You kind of get the kind of get the picture. Heck, Miami, very well run organization. I still wish LeBron had stayed in Miami for his sake. I think he could have gotten more championships out of it. Although that would have cost some championships for my Warriors. But another discussion for another show, of course. Miami missed the playoffs in 2015 after LeBron left. This is with Dwayne Wade. This is with some of the guys that was on that roster the year prior. This is with Eric Spolster, who's a genius head coach. Pat Riley running the operation of that, that basketball organization. The inconsistency in how LeBron James is covered in terms of his outspokenness, we want him to chase Jordan, but we don't like the way he chases Jordan. Why is that? There's no one way to be great. There's no one way to be the GOAT. That's why I love sports. That's why I love, let's use an NFL example. That's why I love the NFL and NFL quarterbacks. Quarterbacks, great quarterbacks come in all different shapes and sizes. They can have the whole package like Patrick Mahomes. They can be a great pocket guy like Joe Burrow. They can be an efficient guy like Dak Prescott. They can have a big arm like Josh Allen. They can be as mobile as Lamar Jackson. They can have a similar whole package like Justin Herbert. There is no one way to be great. And there's no one way to be the greatest of all time. And I think LeBron James and the ways pursued that, pretty admirable. 
And that's not even taking into account. We talk about greatest ever. Then I'll get to the comments. We talk about greatest ever. That does not necessarily mean off-court stuff. I've heard people talk about I, I heard someone today, all oh, the shoes with Jordan. I've seen college football programs have the Jordan logo. Yes, Michael should be given nothing, nothing but credit for it. But if we're going to go off-court, are we going to talk about Jordan's, I'll be nice, questionable off-court life and highly questionable and disastrous run as the Charlotte organization owner, the Bobcats slash Hornets? If we're going to talk about off-court, let's talk about all of it off-court. LeBron James off the court, family man, never been in trouble with the law. By the way, was the equivalent of a Hollywood child star because he came in, he was 16 years old, deemed the chosen one. And LeBron, because he has the most mature emotional makeup of any athlete I think I've ever seen in my life, given where he was at in that position at 16 years old, you saw in that tweet, he embraces it. Off the court does not matter to me if we're talking about simply greatest basketball player ever. But if it matters to you, let's talk about the whole conversation, not just the parts that make your guy feel good and your guy look good. That's all I'm saying. Got a couple of comments here. Patrick Brown, Braun scored 29 of the Cavs' final 38 points in the fourth and overtime. Still one of his top five postseason performances. There's no question about it. It was, uh, I remember Charles Barkley. And Chuck will still tell you to this day. And Chuck is of the belief that that Jordan is the go, as many players from that era are. And he's entitled to his opinion like everybody else is. But I remember Chuck said, and still says to this day, he said that's the most impressive performance he's ever seen. I mean, that we forget how good those Pistons teams were. I'm not going to make it out like they were a dynasty because they only got one championship in that that time span. But they made another finals in that time span. They made a didn't they make four or five straight Eastern Conference finals? I mean, the Pistons. Early 2000 Pistons was a darn good team. It felt like for people in Detroit, like the revival of the Bad Boys Pistons in the late 80s, early 90s. Braun took them out. Basically, literally, single-handedly in that Eastern Conference Finals. It was an incredible performance. There's no question about it. Patrick, MJ played a game 7-98 and 98 against the Pacers on the brink of elimination. Steve Kerr doesn't hit that shot. We're having a different conversation. Yeah, that was... Um, Detail in the last day. By, by the way, by Pat, Patrick and audience, by Jordan never played a game seven. I was talking about the finals. That that I should have clarified that. That that was, you know, that's what a lot of Jordan fans say. Hey, he never played a game seven in the finals. Yes, he also never played a team even close. Forget the Warriors. Forget the Warriors. He never played a team as good as the Spurs. I'm not even sure he's even, <laughs> if he played a team as good as Dallas. Now, if there's a knock on LeBron, it's the 2011 finals. That is, I will concede that every day, every day of the week. That is the knock. That is the low point of LeBron's career. He, who are the better team, are up 2-1 on the Mavericks. For the record, Dirk Nowitzki is literally sick. Man, has the, I don't know if he had the stomach flu or the swine flu. I got the swine flu at that point. It was not fun. Um, But, of course, I don't even know if it was still around in 2011. But the point is, Dirk was sick. The Mavs looked like they were reeling. The Heat were up 2-1. And LeBron had some stinkers. I think he had an eight-point game at one point. He looked scared to shoot. I mean, it was a bad, bad, bad point in LeBron's career. And he got better because of it, as all greats do. Patrick, Michael couldn't get past Detroit during their apex, even averaging 31.5 points during the 1990 Eastern Conference Finals. We talk about MJ as the best player, but couldn't get over the hump. Yeah, you're right. You know, we talk when whenever LeBron fans or people who just don't like Jordan sit up there and say, well, he couldn't get past the Celtics at their apex, or 
I, I don't hold that against Jordan too much because the Bulls were terrible. I mean, they were a bad team in the mid-80s, late the mid to late 80s, 85, 86, that time span. Michael was just awesome. He was dra- kind of similar to LeBron in Cleveland, except uh, LeBron took Cleveland to the NBA Finals. But that's neither here nor there. Um, Michael was dragging those Bulls teams. He's the only reason that Bulls team was even talked about. Once he got Scotty, different conversation. But we talk about those Bulls teams in the in the 90s. And for the record... I think it's the greatest dynasty we've ever seen in the NBA. I, I truly believe that. Six championships in eight years, that is, I mean, only Boston could say that. The Boston in the, in the Bill Russell era can say that. However, they did play Detroit at their apex when the Bulls had very similar, all the same characters, minus Phil Jackson, who was an assistant coach at that time, Doug Collins. By the way, darn good coach. No Phil Jackson, but very good coach was the head of that Bulls team. They had Prime MJ. They had Scottie Pippen. And they had all the cast of characters that helped them win a bunch of championships and couldn't get over Detroit. If we put asterisks next to LeBron, which you guys know, I don't believe in asterisks in sports unless it's like the 2017 Astros. By the way, a team that's in a similar cheating scandal, Michigan, about to get into them in just a second. But... Like, unless it's like an illegitimate championship, which the Astros is in 2017, outside of that, don't put an asterisk next to any accomplishment, team or individual. So, listen, we we can, I I could do an entire, honest to God, forget show, I could do an entire series. I've only done one podcast series in my life. It was the U.S. Presence series that I did with my man Isaac Lawson. That's still uh, on the Carving Up YouTube channel, the playlist uh, section. Check that out. But uh, I I could do an entire podcast series on why LeBron is to go over Jordan. Maybe I will do that. Maybe next next summer when there's not a lot to talk about, NBA, NFL is kind of in its stale point of the year. Maybe I'll do it. Maybe I'll do it then. I don't know. I get those who say Jordan's the GOAT. I genuinely do. I was one of those people until February, until LeBron broke the, broke the scoring record. Just be consistent. Just tell the whole story. I'll tell you this. Look at Michael at 38. Look at LeBron at 38. It's, they're different players. I mean, forget, they look like they're playing different sports. That's all I'm saying. To Michigan. Staying in college, or not staying in college football, moving to college football. Isn't that crazy? Midweek show, November 8th of this year, and NFL does not even lead off carving it up. Like, that's that's the kind of time period we're in. Obviously, it's the last month of the college football regular season. The playoff rankings, by the way, then I'll get into Michigan and then really zero in on the, the controversy there. But the playoff rankings came out last night, with it, which this time of year they come out every Tuesday uh, night on ESPN. But uh, similar top four, so they had Ohio State, Georgia, Michigan, Florida State, uh, one through four. Washington still fifth, followed by Oregon. Washington did beat Oregon, so that looms large. Texas, Alabama, uh, Ole Miss, and Penn State round out the top ten. By the way, my Vols, 17th and climbing to 13th. You know, I said Ohio State were the eight. I'm sorry, 17th, 18th in the 2014 rankings, the first playoff rankings. Ended up winning the national championship. I'm not saying Tennessee is. All I'm saying is I'm not giving up on the hope that they could still get in via Bell. Need help. They got to win the SEC to do that, first of all. They need help. And this weekend will literally 
could literally determine the outcome of Tennessee's season in terms of them getting to Atlanta in the SEC title game. More on that in the Vol View on Friday. This I'm, I don't know if I've ever been more excited for an, an edition of the Vol View than this Friday, so stay tuned for that at 6.30 Eastern, 3.30 Pacific on Carving It Up. But let's talk Michigan because they are the story right now of, of college football. Third-ranked team in the nation, 9-0. and Haven't really been tested yet, but they will be this weekend at Penn State. Uh, that's the big noon game on Fox. They, are, they being the Wolverines, Michigan Wolverines, are four-and-a-half-point favorites. But there has been a controversy and a scandal brewing uh, in Michigan revolving around a potential uh, cheating scheme by Jim Harbaugh and the Wolverines. So here's what we do know. So, again, Michigan's 9-0. and They've they played well, but reportedly, and we've seen, we, we have actually have photo evidence of some of this, Michigan, whether it's by Jim Harbaugh, which I have a very, very hard time believing it's not Harbaugh, he's the head coach for crying out loud, but sent scouts, since pe- sent people within the Michigan football program to rival schools on the sideline to scout, which that is fine, that is not against the rules. The problem is, they used their phones. They were recording plays. Remember, the Patriots got into a similar uh, controversy, not quite to this extent, but got into a similar controversy against Cincinnati. Or they, I remember they were playing the Bengals, and the staff were got busted. This was about four years ago. I remember talking about it on my show at that time, but not not quite to the level of this. So you have that controversy a brewing. So there's a potential investigation. Reportedly, the Big Ten president has asked Michigan to suspend Jim Harbaugh. I think they said for two games. That's the reports we're saying. Uh, there's other coaches in the Big Ten. I mean, you saw Michigan played uh, this past weekend. They played a, a, a Saturday, night, Saturday night game against Purdue. And Purdue's head coach shook Jim Harbaugh's hand. You know, at the end of the game, the coaches will shake hands. It was like the shake hands, and I'm literally going to keep walking as I'm doing it. Like, it, was, it lasted about a, a tenth of a second, uh, the handshake between those two. So there's a lot of tension within the Big Ten towards Michigan, towards Jim Harbaugh, uh, Harbaugh in particular. Now, the things we don't know is how long this has been going on. Is it not as bad as we think? Is it worse than we think? That is due process, innocent until proven guilty. We got we to gotta hash this out and see what happens. Uh, you guys know I have been a big-time Jim Harbaugh fan, supporter, defender throughout the whole bit. I've religiously said that if you had to take, if you did a draft of coaches, you said, okay, the first pick – you don't know, and I, I know there's not a draft in college, but just bear with me. If there was a draft of college programs, college football programs, and NFL teams, and they had the first pick, but you don't know if it is a college or NFL program, who would you draft as your head coach? I'd say Jim Harbaugh would be my first pick because he's had success in the NFL and in college, and that is rare. That's like Jimmy Johnson's one of the only people that can say that. Jim Harbaugh, I mean, the greatest college football coach ever, Nick Saban, some of it through some bad luck, some of it through the fact that they couldn't get Drew Brees to pass medical tests in, and I think it was 06, 05, 06, when he had the shoulder injuries. But Nick Saban, Nick Sa- the GOAT, couldn't work in the NFL. It's a different culture, different league, different it, it, they might as well be different sports. Same sport, football, but different ways of running it. So I, I've, I've always defended Jim Harbaugh in that regard. That said, and whether or not the investigation, if there's investigation ongoing, will be completed by season's end. If, and this is if they find Harbaugh guilty, if they find more evidence that is just undeniable that shows he's clearly the mastermind behind this, which if there is a controversy, again, it's a hard, 
we had this very way more serious situation at Penn State years ago. I don't have to hash that out, but the head coach was clearly not involved in it, but aware it was going on, and that happened. Not as serious here with Michigan, but if something's going on, the head coach knows about it. It's that simple. If they find out Michigan is guilty of doing what they are alleging, what they have shown, what some of the photographs have shown, the allegations, what have you. Jim Harbaugh, I want to emphasize that. Jim Harbaugh should be suspended for the remainder of the season. Michigan should be allowed to still compete in the college football playoff. There's no question about that. Because the fact of the matter is, I've heard people arguing you should give Michigan a postseason ban. And we've seen this with recruiting violations in the past. Where I mean, I remember Ole Miss went through this with Hugh Freeze in the mid uh, 2010s, where Hugh Freeze got in trouble, was a recruiting violation, and they got and Ole Miss got a postseason ban uh, for 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 a little while. I think that would be completely unfair to the kids at Michigan. Completely unfair. Here's why: I've heard it argued today by the great I'll, I'll name drop by the great Stephen A. Smith on first take this morning that through this scandal through if Michigan is indeed guilty, that the Michigan players gained an unfair advantage as it pertains to information on other squads. Okay. Can I show you guys Michigan's schedule? I don't have a graphic on, uh, on it, so I'll read it off for the podcast audience and for the YouTube audience, Twitter audience. Here's who Michigan's played this season. Eastern Carolina, UNLV, Bowling Green, Rutgers, Nebraska, Minnesota, Indiana, Michigan State, Purdue. None of those teams, cheating or not, are beating Michigan. They're just not. Now, the last three weeks of the season, it's a little dicey for Michigan. They do have Penn State at Penn State this weekend. Then at Maryland after that, they should beat Maryland. And then a home game at the Horseshoe. Not the Horseshoe, it's at Ohio State. At the Big House in Ann Arbor, Michigan, they play Ohio State. That's, I mean, it's been known as the game for the longest time. Michigan has beaten Ohio State the last two years. So it's probably the biggest game of the college football season. Again, that's a different question. If they beat those teams, and it, assuming they would win the Big Ten championship game, yes, they should be in. Because I've heard it argue, well, what about a, a team like a Texas? Like a Florida State? Like a Washington and Oregon? A team that's like on the precipice, on the cusp of a college football playoff berth. Wouldn't Michigan's cheating cheat or screw over those other teams who didn't cheat or at least didn't to the level of Michigan that we know of because we know science stealing is a very, very common thing in college football. Well, first of all, Michigan never played those teams. Second of all, Michigan didn't have to cheat to beat the teams that they beat. Now, Penn State and certainly Ohio State, a little bit of a different story. If they have unfair, if they have an unfair advantage as it pertains to information because of uh, records on these 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 staffers and these these um, scouts' phones on Penn State and Ohio State, it's a different conversation. But we don't know that yet. Again, innocent until proven guilty. What the Wolverines have shown this season in their performance? I mean, at some point or another, I can know all the answers to the test, um, so to speak, or at least I can know. I liken it to a math equation. Someone can tell me how to do the math equation, but if it still doesn't make all the sense of the world, I still may not get the right answer. You get what I'm saying here? Michigan still has talent. If, if Michigan can have the answers, but if they have the talent of Vanderbilt, they're not going anywhere. There's not. I mean, that's, that's common sense. You got to have the talent to win the games at the highest level. 
Jim Harbaugh, I want to emphasize this. If he is found guilty, if Michigan's found guilty, Jim Harbaugh should be suspended because he will have been the head of this. Clearly, this would not have happened uh, under anyone else's watch except the head coach. But as for the players, you're telling me I put in all this hard work. I've dedicated my my time in, in the spring and in the summer and, and, and gone through the process as a student athlete of, of going to classes and still maintaining a practice schedule while somehow finding a way to get sleep and all this. Just for you to say, does not matter what you can do, we are banning you from the playoff. That is unfair. I'm not big on the whole, you know, sometimes life is unfair. I, I, I get that. That is unfair to those kids. It's as simple as that. Harbaugh should be suspended. Michigan football should not. If they show, and assuming it looks like Jim Harbaugh is going to coach this weekend, barring something unforeseen, and frankly, because they're looking at it in terms of is Michigan guilty or not, Harbaugh should coach this weekend. Again, and is until proven guilty. But if he doesn't coach against Ohio State, Michigan wins. Well, evidently, they have the talent to do it. By the way, Michigan Harbaugh, because of the whole stup stupid hamburger um, uh, recruiting violation, which was absolutely ridiculous, didn't coach the first three games this season. If they can beat Ohio State without Jen Harbaugh, right now, Ohio State, number one team in the nation, who's to say they can't beat Ohio State again in the playoff? Or Georgia? Or Florida State? Or Texas? Or we just keep going, Oregon, Washington, just keep going down the list here. Harbaugh, if guilty, should be suspended. The Michigan football program should not. I think it's that simple. Um, by the way, people say, well, what, what's the difference between that and the Houston Astros? It's very different. Now, Houston, clearly, as we saw with many of those core key players, they helped them win the World Series just a year ago in 2022. Different managers, some different players there. I um, mean, you obviously had... Um, Jordan Alvarez, you had Kyle Tucker, like players who weren't uh, key members of that 2017 championship team, which ended up being an Ill Ill illegitimate championship, as I say, because they knew that because of the, the whole trash can situation, we know how that went. But it's very different gaining information, maybe knowing the place to a certain degree, if that is what's what's going on. And I know I am one of the best hitters in the world, and I know exactly what pitch is coming. That's different. That is complete. Then the players and the manager slash coaches, everybody involved, have an unfair advantage. Michigan should be in if Harbaugh is not, whether he is or not. That's my take. I, 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 I get why people are frustrated. I really do, but it is, uh, I think that's, I think that's the, the, clear, the clear answer there. I heard somebody, by the way, liken this as well. So 2017 Astros, I understand why people com would compare it to that, but some were comparing it to, and people will not, this is my pet peeves, my sports pet peeves. The first is LeBron James is at clutch. That makes me want to pull my hair out. I mean, every, literally every number will tell you LeBron is not only clutch, but one of, if not the clutchest player that's ever played the game. But one of my pet peeves, and I don't even like the Patriots. I've been as big of a critic as anybody of Bill Belichick. I love Brady, but you're never going to mistake me. You're never going to see me in Gillette Stadium wearing a, you know, looking like Paul Revere or somebody. You're not, not going to see that. But someone likened it to Deflake. It's like, oh my God. We, are, we, are, we, are we still talking about Deflate Gate darn near a decade later? Really, that the Deflate Gate where the NFL, and this is according to, again, this is a book I got over here. I have the second time I've referenced this in a week. Uh, Playmakers 
by Mike Florio of Pro Football Talk. Great book. Check it out. Came out a couple of years ago, but it's still very relevant to, to current events in the National Football League. But how the NFL uh, tested football secretly. They talk about, oh, the Patriots, this devious, oh, this evil plan. Well, the NFL isn't so innocent themselves. They punish Brady. Oh, they suspend Brady the four games. They strip a draft pick from the New England Patriots because there were deflated balls. Yeah, because it was freezing. It was, I think it was 45 degrees at its warmest in Foxborough that day. They tested footballs from outdoor games in the 2015 season, the following season, uh, in similar weather conditions. And I think it was something like five to nine of those games, the balls were deflated. It wasn't because these organizations put together an evil plan to gain an unfair advantage and deflate the footballs. No, it's because it was cold. And cold, I mean, how many times we see our, our, our the tires on our car? Like if it gives that gives us that uh, that alert, oh, your, your tire pressure is, is low. If you park if you park your car outside, yeah, it's going to be low. If it's cold outside, I mean, that, that's just basic, basic science. I mean, I have to bring Bill Nye on the show to explain that. It's pretty simple, pretty basic. Anyways, but again, not all scandals are, are, are like, but that, that felt to me like it was people on social media. I, I've still, to this day, folks, anytime that I haven't talked about Brady that much in a while because he's retired, but anytime I've talked about Brady in the last year, I've, honest to God, have had comments, have had people hitting me up like, man, why are you still, why do you like this guy? He's a cheater. It's it's like, are, are we still really on this? First of all, no, he didn't cheat. <laughs> it's 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 really... But yeah, that's my take on Michigan, long story short. I'll tell you this, though. So now we're shifting to the NFL. Now we're giving the NFL some, some love. You know, highest, highest rated league in the NFL. Highest rated league. Highest uh, rated league in sports and the biggest television product out there. But a game that was, whew, murder on the eyes. That's putting it mildly. I, I'm a Steelers fan. Where are my Steelers at right now? I've seen, a, I've seen some ugly football games. Okay, this is my first year as a Steelers fan. Seen some ugly football games this year. They didn't compare to this one. Chargers beat the Jets Monday night football, 27-6. I picked the Jets. That wasn't smart, obviously. Uh, the Chargers didn't generate much offense whatsoever. Now the Jets have a fantastic defense, so you, you credit that to them as well. But uh, the Chargers overall, gosh, if I could pull up the offensive statistics, the Chargers barely broke 200 yards of offense 220 yards of offense if, if my math adds up right here 220 yards of offense for for the la chargers but they got a special team touchdown early on punt return uh, by the way justin herbert who is a spectacular player you guys know i've been a herbert fan since he came to the nfl pretty pedestrian number 16 of 30 a buck 36 no touchdowns no picks qbr 41 pass rating below average at 65 uh I think Herbert's spectacular. I mean, that, those are no offense to my man, Kenny Pickett, but these are like Kenny Pickett numbers. Although Kenny's great in the fourth quarter, fourth quarter, Kenny's a real thing. But uh, that is yet another game where the Jets face an elite quarterback and they don't play well, except for Dak Prescott. Isn't that something else? I know I brought Dak up. Why did I? Bryson, focus on the task at hand. But the Jets scored six points against one of the three worst, statistically, one of the three worst passing defenses in football with Garrett Wilson and Alan Lazard, who we know Aaron Rodgers had a great connection with in Green Bay. So I said, you know, it's it's funny how takes will just, whether they look good, they age well, they age poorly, they always come back at some point or another. I've had takes the past, like, wish I hadn't said that. That, that, that doesn't age terribly well. 
And then all it takes, like, man, I was right on the money on that one. I'd be lying to you if it was half and half. It's like 90-10 in good take category. But we're all wrong at some point. But in all seriousness, though, for real, for real, though, it's a long season. It's 17 games. But every once in a while, something will come back around. What's this? What's the song by Timberlake? What goes around comes back around. I, I don't want to get I don't want to get sued by the, for uh, for that. But I said in week three, after week three, really, after the Jets lost to the New England Patriots, when the Patriots only one of the Patriots only two wins of the season came in the Meadowlands against the Jets, they won fifteen to ten. And yes, the the game was as ugly as the score would indicate. Two really, really, really bad quarterbacks, Mac Jones and Zach Wilson. But I said it's okay, Robert Sala. It's okay, Joe Douglas. It's okay, Jets organization. You missed on Zach Wilson. This is on you, the franchise, to not to not have a backup plan unless, God forbid, the worst case scenario, which four plays into the season, worst case scenario, unfortunately, came to pass with Aaron Rodgers going down. You didn't have an adequate backup plan. It's funny I mentioned that just three weeks ago. Again, see if this this is from week three. So this is this is six weeks ago. See if this sounds somewhat relevant on one of my carving up the context segments in the past. Again, if your goals and your aspiration, or sorry, your expectation, of course your goal, you hope to win the Super Bowl, doesn't mean it's always always realistic. What's your expectations? Again, when crazy stuff, when, when, when crisis, so to speak, football crisis in this sense hits, got to change your plan, got to do a 180, got to audible. Crisis is hit. Your backup quarterback, who's now unfortunately your starter, who I've said is an XFL quarterback, he's not good at playing the quarterback position. We, that is undeniable. We've seen that through his first three years in the NFL to this point. He's bad. You're going to waste your defense the second straight year. I heard it floated that, hey, why don't the Jets just tank this year? And Because hey, they got the first-round pick back from the Jets. Oh, yeah, and piss off the whole locker room and cost Robert Sala his job? Uh, let's not go with that option. Mess up the culture to a certain extent? That's a terrible idea. Admit you're wrong. Takes age pretty well. And Robert Sala was talking today. And for the record, I I love Robert Sala. Um, I think he was a tremendous defensive coordinator in San Francisco. And I think given the circumstances, he's done a pretty darn good. I mean, the fact that the Jets have the quarterback play that they do and they're in the playoff hunt is a credit to coaching. Now, Robert Sala, you know, this is this is kind of my rule for coaches. That uh, and I took this for just for the record. This is not my original idea. I, I'm going to confess that up front. This, I've heard uh, Colin Coward say this, and I totally agree with it. That when a coach is specializes in a certain thing, so for like for example, Andy Reid specializes in offense. Safe to say, the Chiefs since Andy Reid have been there have been pretty good. A pretty good offense. Mike Tomlin specializes in defense. The Steelers are always great defensively. 2017 was a little bit of an oddball year. They weren't good on defense that year, but by and large, they're great defensively with Mike Tomlin. Robert Sala is a defensive coach. Jets defense is fantastic. And they did all they could. Yes, they gave up 27, but seven of that was on a punt return for a touchdown. They held Justin Herbert to under 150 yards. The Chargers only ran for 84 yards of an eighth. Jets defense did all they could. Uh, it's just they have an abysmal offense that can't do anything whatsoever. And Robert Sala was talking about Zach Wilson. And but he, he was asked by he was asked by Michael Kay. Michael Kay, obviously the voice of the New York Yankees. And he asked, he asked Coach Sal, he said, quote, you've got Trevor Simeon, backup quarterback, in the building. Why not give him a try? Sala answered, quote, I got you. Again, fair question. 
Like I said, I don't know. I'm going to plead the fifth on this one in terms of just, I've kind of explained it respectfully, obviously. They're valid questions. I know from a passionate fan, from fans who are passionate, all having the same questions. I respect it greatly. End quote. Love Robert Sala. That is the definition of a word salad. That is, ex- I mean, that is textbook world word salad. Uh, the Jets are not only reaping the losses for not admitting they were wrong on Zach Wilson in terms of not moving off of him, whether they got Aaron Rodgers or not, get a better backup plan. Now, is it all on Zach Wilson? Of course not. That offensive line for the Jets is, listen, Rod, Aaron Rodgers' recovery from his Achilles surgery is like a, it doesn't make sense. I don't know. I can definitively, we thought initially, I certainly thought I was in the masses. Oh yeah, Aaron isn't coming back this this year because it's an Achilles injury. It's, it's like the worst injury an athlete can suffer, especially an athlete of Aaron Rodgers' age. So of course he's not coming back, except he's walking. He's 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 dropping back, you know, throwing in during warmups. So he's looking better and better, certainly than he did just two months ago, less than two months ago when he initially suffered the Achilles uh, injury. I'm telling you all, if I'm Aaron Rodgers, I'm doing what I used to do in Green Bay, except in a different uh, in a different way. I'm putting pressure. I'm not coming back this season. I'm putting pressure on that Jets organization. Hey, hey guys, get me an offensive line. I'm going to be 40 years old, coming off an Achilles. Give me an O-line. Give me protection. So there's one. Listen, Green Bay did an awful job of putting receivers around Aaron outside of Devontae Adams. They always had a good offensive line. Always. They had Bakhtiari. They had Corey Lindsley at one point. They had Jenkins. I mean, they had some really good players on that, on that offensive line in Green Bay. Jets O-line is one of the worst in football statistically, and I test and watch the field. They're, they're bad. But for Zach Wilson, and I don't even want to pick on the kid, because one of my criticisms of Zach coming in the NFL, and certainly last year, was his maturity, uh, lack of self-awareness. We all remember that infamous press conference moment from the, against the Patriots last year where he didn't take accountability for playing poorly. That's gone. That appears, and guess what, y'all? We all mature. We all grow. We all get better. Zach obviously has. Thus far, we don't have any indication that there's turmoil in the locker room. We did last year. Remember when Zach got benched, Mike White came in, and the Jets players were wearing T-shirts with, with the backup quarterback on it? Not a great look for, looks for Zach Wilson. I don't see, now, Trevor Simeon hasn't played yet, but if Trevor Simeon were to play, I don't anticipate there'll be Trevor Simeon T-shirts worn by players during warm-ups. So it's not as bad as it was last year um, from a locker room perspective. From a production perspective, folks, it's the same. He's thrown five touchdowns, five picks in nine games. Sorry, eight games. He's not the guy. It's, 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 and there's an organization in the NFL. There's an organization in the NFL that's in the NFC that is making, as if the Jets didn't look bad enough, they're making the Jets look even worse today. It's the Minnesota Vikings. They lost their quarterback for the season, ironically, a sad irony, on an Achilles injury. Vikings were surging. They were gaining some momentum. They were in about to get their third straight win, get to four and four, get back to the play in the playoff hunt against a division rival at Lambeau. And Kirk Cousins suffers an Achilles injury and is done for the year. It's like a gut punch to that locker room, that organization, in a similar sense that it was for the Jets with Rodgers going down. You know what the Vikings did? First of all, they drafted a quarterback. The Jets did not. They drafted a quarterback named Jaron Hall last year. But they're like, Jaron Hall probably isn't the answer. We still think we're not a contender without Kirk Cousins, but you know what? We still think we can make the playoffs. As weak as the NFC is, as good as their roster is, as much as their defense has improved, Brian Flores there, 
as good as our receiving core is with Justin Jefferson, Jordan Addison. We've got we've got TJ Hawkinson. We can still make the playoffs. So guess what they did? They traded for a guy been talked about a lot this week. He's been talked about a lot for a while on my show. Josh Dobbs. How's that worked out? We didn't anticipate Dobbs would come in and literally be Superman with basically no with no knowledge of the playbook, so to speak, on Sunday. But they pivoted quickly. They they suffered the worst thing that could have happened for the Vikings this season was their quarterback going down for the year. But they said, you know what? Pivot. Make up a quick move. Let's go get Dobbs. The Jets, because they're a poorly run franchise, they're like, no, we're going to stick with our guy, Zach Wilson. He's gotten better. Emotionally, yes. Ability-wise, no, he hasn't. He hasn't. You know, Bill Parcells had the saying, and I quote him all the time. If the quarterback, you know, if you don't know if the quarterback's the guy by year three, move on. I could have told you Zach wasn't the guy after the middle of year two. Heck, year one potentially, although maybe that would have been unfair that early, but you could you can usually tell pretty quickly. I talked about this with Wimby. You can usually tell if somebody's going to be special pretty quickly. And you can tell if somebody's gonna be bad pretty quickly. The in-between, it's a little tough, it's a little murky. Zach's a bad quarterback. The Jets, because they don't want they're wrong, are kind of forced to stand their stand on stand on their morals a little bit, and it's not working. Clearly, uh, and again, what's wild is that the Jets again somehow, some way, are in the playoff hunt. Uh, sadly, we got to watch the Jets on prime time again. They go to Vegas next week. They're a half point favorite on the road. Um, if the Jets are banking on a forty year old quarterback off an Achilles surgery coming back this year then there's some deeper, worse organizational problems than we initially thought. Vikings pivoted. Vikings have a good roster. As good as the Jets, I'm not sure, but good. Certainly good when Kirk Cousins is healthy. But they said, you know what? We're not bad enough to tank. Got a good coach. Got a good roster. Improving defense. Good weapons. Kind of similar to the Jets. Let's go get a quarterback. Go get a starter. Carson Wentz. By the way, nobody's ever going to mistake me for a Carson Wentz guy. Carson Wentz was there for the taking. He's now an L.A. Ram. So you missed your opportunity at that. Now you're stuck with Zach Wilson and Trevor Simeon. You get what you deserve in the NFL. It's a harsh league. It's also a league where when the fit hits the shan, got to make quick decisions. And they didn't do that. Got a comment here. Parnell is in the comments. He said, is C.J. Stroud top 10? Yes, he is, Parnell. We were talking about this, you and I, the other day. And um, I said, if, if I had to, to list quarterbacks, and this isn't just an overreaction. You, you know, We don't want to overreact to one game every Sunday, but this is an overreaction to the performance against the Buccaneers on Sunday when he threw for 475 touchdowns and led the game-winning drive. But... I've, I've, I've listed this. These are the quarterbacks that I would take today. The only quarterbacks in no particular order that I would take over CJ Stroud. Mahomes, Burrow, Allen, Hurts, Lawrence, Dak, Goff, Lamar, Herbert, and then CJ Stroud at the end. That's it. I'd take him over Tua, Carr, Purdy, Geno, Stafford, you name it. Now Stafford, we see how the Rams looked without him. It might want to put Stafford a little closer to that top 10, but still. Uh, Patrick Brown talking about Zach Wilson. He says, quote, uh, hopefully Zach doesn't let the rocket fuel run out if they can. No, Patrick, there was never rocket fuel. Isn't it? hasn't even run out. This was an, this is a model. You know, you, you go to these, I went to an air show for, for my dad's birthday about a year ago. 
and you see these these incredible and i'm not even an aviation fan as much as he is like he he, he loves it he, he, and it's it was, it's actually i'm not even again not even a fan of it but it was a really cool show blue angels were there everything it was awesome uh but you see some of these these aircrafts it's like wow these are zach wilson is the, is the aircraft that looks good it's i mean zach wilson pretty good looking kid big arm it's got some of the measurables pretty mobile it doesn't have any fuel in it. <laughs> so it's, it doesn't it doesn't work. So there never was rocket fuel, Patrick. Never was. Patrick, CJ is breaking the mold that Ohio State quarterbacks can succeed. Houston has found their franchise quarterback for the future. Yeah, and that was you know, that was my concern for for CJ Stroud. I said Bryce and CJ were bound to go one and two in any particular order. And my my concern for 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 Bryce was quite obvious his size. My concern for Stroud was I like just about everything about him. Maturity, arm strength, accuracy. Uh, it looks like a really coachable kid. But Ohio State quarterbacks don't work in the NFL. And some of that is why most Bama quarterbacks don't work because you have an unlimited arsenal of resources around you in terms of offensive line, running backs, receivers. But I said, I, I, I figure I'm like, you know what? I'm going to be fair to the kid. Let's see what he's got. And I put the Ohio State stuff aside. I said, I would take him over Bryce. Now, again, I, again, this is where this is where we get to the overreaction. Now Stroud is better than Bryce. I, that's not an overreaction. I, I I believe that from the beginning. And I was a big Stroud. I never. I wouldn't say I love Stroud like the way I love Trevor Lawrence. Like I loved Trevor Lawrence in twenty twenty one, and he's basically validated everything I've said about him. But by the way, I love Trey Lance in twenty twenty one. That has not panned out whatsoever. Only time will tell if it does. Gets a new opportunity. We'll see. But liked, no, really liked C.J. Stroud. Liked Bryce Young. I know today we're saying, oh, the Panthers screwed up drafting Bryce Young. They probably screwed up by trading the pick, although they wouldn't have gotten Bryce, so we can, what if, what if the whole day. But you got to realize, I know Carolina's not on TV much. I think they've had one nationally televised game. They're going to have one tomorrow night, uh, sadly, for the, <laughs> for the rest of the country to see. But maybe almost good for the rest of the country to see when they play Chicago. I'll predict that game as briefly as I can at the end of the show about 15, 20 minutes from now. But I know we don't watch a lot of Carolina Panthers today because they're 1-7. They're second-worst team in the league, arguably. I'd say third. Giants are probably worse. But watch tomorrow night and see, see how you feel about Bryce Young. Kid has nothing around him. Oh, line's bad. Stephen Corr is one of the worst in the league. No running game. Defense is fine. Nothing special. And I, while I love Frank Reich, Hasn't been quite as good as I thought. There is a reason. While Ursay is a little, little weird, a little weird for an owner, he probably had a decent reason to fire Reich. I don't want to overreact too much on Reich, and I definitely don't want to overreact too much on Bryce Young. Again, it is year one. How did Trevor Lawrence look in year one? I mean, he's one of the worst quarterbacks in the league. One of the worst quarterbacks in the league. How's he look now? Jackson, the longest winning streak in the league. And I'm telling you right now, I'm just going to put this bug in y'all's ear. Never understood that analogy because I never want somebody to put a bug in my ear. But that said, if the Jaguars beat the Niners on Sunday, and to do so against that defense, Trevor will have to play well. As we say here today, there's not an MVP front runner. It could be Lamar. I would say Lamar probably. One could argue Hurts. Heck, I'd say watch out for Dak the way he's playing. I know everybody wants to give it to A.J. Brown uh, or 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 Tyree Kilt. Guys, it's it, and gals, everybody listening. It's a quarterback award. The, the value, and not that receivers aren't valuable because they are. The value of a quarterback just so far exceeds 
the value of a wide receiver. Again, CCJ Stroud. Nothing against Davis Mills. You think Tank Dell and Nico Collins will be doing what they're doing in Houston with Davis Mills at quarterback? I don't think so. Put CJ Stroud in, they look like pro bowlers. It's a quarterback's award, and frankly, it rightfully so. Trevor plays well against the Niners. We're going to start talking about Trevor like, hey, is that guy in Jacksonville the MVP frontrunner? I predicted him to win the MVP before the season. I'm just saying, if he wins, look out. Patrick, CJ, man, you can barely see my face. <laughs> my face. He says, uh, CJ and Anthony Richardson have more upside versus Bryce Young. People liked Bryce due to his Heisman moment versus Texas. I don't know if I totally agree with that, but CJ literally beat the national champion in Georgia without Marvin. He didn't, I mean, in fairness, he didn't beat them. He, I mean, if, if not for his field goal, he would have beaten them. And again, I, I want to emphasize this. I like Stroud better. I think Stroud is going to have the better career. He's certainly been better this season. I think he's the runaway favorite for offense rookie of the year. That said, I think that's too harsh, too harsh saying people only liked Bryce for his Heisman moment against Texas. Uh, take this from a Tennessee fan. What he did to my Vols at Neyland Stadium. I mean, we won that game. It's one of the high points of my sports rooting life was when we broke the streak against Alabama. I couldn't speak the next day. My voice was, was so shot. Every single time. I swear to y'all that when number nine for Alabama had the ball in his hands, I was scared. I'm like, oh God, he's gonna, he's gonna make, he's gonna make something happen. And for the vast majority of the day, he did. And by the way, there was a last driver, Jameer Gibbs. My man Jameer Gibbs dropped a pass that could have could have put a fork in Tennessee's chances to win that game. Um Bryce was really good at Alabama. I mean, really good. Um, arm talent's good. Mobility's good. By the way, he is, he's an excellent leader. Now, if the question is size, absolutely. I've, I've, I'm saying questions about Kyler. And I, and I said about Bryce, I said, the reason I'd be hesitant to take, to take Bryce is look at smaller quarterbacks around the NFL. Haven't been terribly successful. Now, Russell's been significantly better this year than he was a year ago. Uh, Tua only seems to get better. But Baker, there's some limitations. Now, Bryce is more athletic than Baker, but there are limitations to Baker. Kyler Murray, some limitations there. So that would be the reason I wouldn't take him as size uh, if there were a reason not to take him. That's where I'm at. Patrick, that to me said, Patrick says, that to me said, he's the number one pick. Young man played with heart and kept Ohio State in that game. If I were a GM, Stroud would have been my first pick. Again, he would have been my first pick too, Patrick. I'm, I'm just saying, I don't want to put a, I don't want to write, write Bryce Young's uh, eulogy or, 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 or write his epitaph as an NFL quarterback eight starts in. I think it's too early, too soon. Like, give the kid time. He's more of a, pro let's put it this way. He's more of a project than, um, than Richardson is. I mean, if we had to put, if we had to take the four uh, premier rookie quarterbacks, I'd say five, and then Hooker was healthy, but you'll see what, someday in the future, it may not be in Detroit, y'all will see what Hinton Hooker can do. I'm dead serious when I say that. But if you take the four quarterbacks, take Bryce, Stroud, you take Richardson, and you take Will Levis. Now, Levis, only two starts. Richardson, I think, only three. So a little, little bit of a, a smaller sample size with those three. Look top to bottom. You tell me who has the worst supporting cast of the four. I'd say it's by a mile. It's Bryce Young. Okay? Dalton Schultz is in Houston. Like Dalton Schultz. Don't love him, but Dalton Schultz is better than any tight end they got in. Hayden Hurst is fine. I'd take Dalton Schultz. Um, better than any tight end they got in Carolina. I mean, who they got? An old washed-up Adam Thielen, DJ Chark. Eh, not, 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 not a lot to work with there. Uh, it's, he's got 
Uh, Michael Pittman Jr. is in Indianapolis for Richardson. They've got Jonathan Taylor. They, they got some nice piece. We see what they're doing even without Richardson. They're four and five. Gardner Minshew's playing well. They're in the playoff hunt. And then as for Tennessee, Mike Vrabel, Derrick Henry, DeAndre Hopkins, they got pieces in Tennessee. While it's not a great roster, the, 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 the elite players in Tennessee are pretty darn good. I, name an elite player in Carolina. I, I like Brian Burns. Are we going to look at him as an elite player? Two years ago, sure. Now, eh. So what you have around you as a, as a rookie quarterback does matter a lot. It, it, it does. Okay, so speaking of which, speaking of of talent, of what you have around you, I'm, I'm going to see if I can get these, these graphics loaded because Bryce's best 10 is going to be a good one today. So we got, by the way, I, I, I should mention this, we have a team on Bryce's best 10 that is in for the very first time. I did want to mention that. I see I got a comment from I don't know if it's from Patrick or for somebody else, but let me let me get these these uh graphics in here super fly fast. Hang on here. That should be all of them. There we go. All right, get these graphics in super quick. Before Bryson's best Tim, we have got a comment here from Patrick. And to think Cowboys fans wanted to sign Thielen. I'm glad we didn't sign him. You, you should be. Well, the Cowboys are in need of a of wide receiver help. By the way, I don't think Martavis Bryant is gonna gonna fill that need, but neither would Adam Thielen. Um, they need to find ways to get Brandon Cooks involved more in in Dallas. Because I'm taking Brandon, I'm taking Brandon Cooks over Jalen Tolbert any day of the week. You got Dak out here dragging Dallas and and literally, literally making Jalen Tolbert look like a number two receiver. I mean, it was unbelievable, unbelievable what he was doing. He was he he, he was on one. By the way, Bradley Beal, there's a little NBA news for y'all. Bradley Beal looks to be making his NBA debut tonight. So that's fun. See what see what the, the Suns look like. I've been skeptical of the Bradley Beal thing from, from the get-go. I think defensively they'll be bad. I think offensively, you know, if basketball is a game where multiple balls are involved, sure. Uh, Beal can play off the ball, although that's not really been his, that's not where he's been at his best. Kevin can certainly play off the ball because we saw him do it in Golden State. But again, they don't have a point guard. They Bradley Beal, we already saw. I mean, he's making a season debut two weeks into the year. He's already injury riddled. Uh, he's already injury prone. So is Kevin. So is Booker increasingly. So is Nurkic. The bench is, is, is not very good. They downgraded a head coach. Other than that, I think the Suns are contenders. You know, the three contenders out West. Maybe Sacramento, when they get Fox back, will insert their name into this discussion. Maybe. They got to get better defensively. Denver at the top, followed by the Warriors, followed by the Lakers. And the Lakers are three and four. I still think they'll get it right. Maybe that's a blind faith. I mean, I hope, listen, I hope they don't. But yeah. Uh, Parnell, real quick on this rookie quarterback discussion, chimes in. He says, I like Bryce and CJ more than Anthony because, uh, look, let me read that again. I like Bryce and CJ more than Anthony because of poison accuracy, knock on Bryce with size. I, I wouldn't even say the poise is really concerned for Anthony uh, Parnell. Uh, the, the main concern for, for for at least my concern of Anthony, and I kind of came around in him after a while, especially once I got Steichen and once they sort of put these pieces around him, is accuracy. And I said historically, or not even historically, just recently, if you look at quarterbacks who come in the NFL, I think it was, I, I mentioned my top 10 quarterbacks in the league. I think of my 10, I think only Lamar and um, and Allen were the only ones who had 50%-ish completion percentages in college. So, and but but the thing that those two provided that Richardson also provides is incredible athleticism. 
mean, Lamar, uh, now Allen uses as his athleticism too much in the sense of he's trying to leap over linebackers. That's preserve your body a little bit, Josh. Lamar is the fastest player in the field at times as the quarterback. So, and Anthony can be that. Uh, there, there were a lot of cons- uh, not concerns, comparisons to Josh Allen, and for good reason. Uh, I'll, t- I'll tell you, guys, Parnell's my guy. You know, you're my guy, Parnell. You have got to be you and my dad have got to be the biggest Trevor Lawrence. Not to, <laughs> not to, not to take a swipe. My dad, I love my dad. I love my dad. Shout out, dad. Uh, have got to be the biggest Trevor Lawrence haters I've ever seen. Because Parnell says here, is CJ Stroud better than Trevor Lawrence? No, he is not. He's amazing. He's top ten. You see, I mean, y'all, y'all gonna see with Trevor, not to, not to, not to tip my pitch, so to speak, because I like to keep my, I like to keep the cards of my predictions close to the vest, not let anybody see them. You can probably tell what I'm leaning with, <laughs> with Jacksonville and San Francisco. Y'all, y'all gonna see coming off a bye. Y'all gonna see. I mean, better arm accuracy. I probably give to Shroud. In all honesty, Melissa and I act like the Jags are loaded with great wide receivers. I really like Calvin Ridley, but that's kind of where it ends. Now he's got ETN, and Stroud does not, so that's that's a fair point as well. So let's let's stop teasing uh, Bryson's best ten. Let's let's actually get into the darn list, okay? So get the background music going. Super? Fa- no, not that, not that background music. Here we go. Bryson's best ten. Here we go. Going into week ten of this NFL season. Week ten. Bryson's best ten. Here we go. The tenth best team in the NFL is the Miami Dolphins. Miami drops one spot, only one spot from last week, and here's why. So I know Miami, a lot of people are selling stock on Miami. I understand that. Uh, all three good to competent, uh, over 500 teams they played, they've lost to all three. Now, the good news I would take from Miami, and I know styles make fights, so every game is different. It's like a snowflake. Every snowflake, none are, none, no two are the same. But first, okay team, solid team. First team over 500 they play was the Buffalo Bills. And they got mollywhopped. They lost 48-20. wasn't even close. Then they play Philadelphia. They lose 31-17. But it's close. It's tight. They're somewhat competitive, although they can't really move the ball offensively and defensively. They couldn't get stops on Jalen Hurts and that Philly rushing attack. Then on Sunday, against Kansas City in Germany, listen, had the ball into his hands. Last drive of the game. Couldn't get it done. But if you're a Dolphins fan, and some of this is Kansas City's limitations offensively in terms of their wide receivers, but if you're a Dolphins fan, you're sitting back and saying, timeout. An offense with Mahomes and Kelsey, as bad as our defense has been, 25th in the league coming into that game. We held them to 14 points. If not for the, the Tyree Kill fumble, that game maybe goes to overtime. So we did compete with Kansas City. I know, I didn't listen, moral victories. I know people are getting on the Cowboys for that today, and maybe people might get on me for the Dolphins on that today. I understand that. But given what they put on film, given how explosive this offense has shown itself to be, they're going into a bye week. So I think it's an opportunity for Mike McDaniel to kind of say, kind of reevaluate where they're at as a football team, uh, you know, emphasize the run more, make things a little bit easier on Tua, get the offensive line healthy, and the defense with Vic Fangio seems to be turning a corner. So that is good news for the Dolphins. They still, uh, barely, but they are still in my top 10. At number nine, making their Bryson's best 10 debut, stand up Minnesota Vikings. Never thought I would say this. Skull! That felt weird as a Steelers fan. I'm not going to lie to you. Minnesota, the ninth best team in the NFL, and here is why. So, four-game winning streak, second only to the Jacksonville Jaguars in terms of their winning streak. And you look at what the, the Vikings have done. 
over the last four games. So we know the offensive piece they have. Justin Jefferson coming off of IR today, by the way. Not sure if he's going to play Sunday, according to Kevin O'Connell. But you got, you you could potentially get Jefferson back healthy. Jordan Addison has shown himself to be a really talented young rookie. Hawkinson is still top 10 tight end. Uh, And you have this guy by the name of Joshua Space Dobbs. I call him Space Dobbs, at least. NASA called him the Pastronaut, which is awesome. But I'll tell you what he did. He dominated. You'll hear that term a lot. Dominated. The Atlanta Falcons defense, of which Atlanta, by the way, sixth-ranked overall defense coming into this game. And Joshua Dobbs hangs 31 on them. And three touchdowns accounted for. Two through the air, one on the ground, including a game-winning drive to win at the end for Minnesota, despite really not even knowing the playbook, which is unheard of. But for Minnesota, big thing for them is the fact that in this four-game winning streak, Brian Flores, maybe it takes a little bit to to get the guys used to the new defensive system. In this four-game winning streak, They gave up 13 to the Bears, 17, this is very impressive, 17 to the high-powered 49ers offense, 10 to the Packers, now 28 to Atlanta. Not great, you'd like to improve off that, Uh, but you got the Saints, Broncos, Bears coming up after this. So the Vikings playing really good football on both sides of the ball. The defense was a massive concern for them last season. Not this year, certainly not to the degree it was last year. Brian Flores has really cleaned everything up in that regard, but Minnesota playing really good football. They found their quarterback for the rest of the season, and dare I say, maybe they don't have to draft a quarterback. I've said for all year, Joshua Dobbs is a starting quarterback in the NFL. Said that even in Arizona. Certainly, I'm saying that now in Minnesota. Now he's got the pieces surrounding him. The Vikings, stand up, Minnesota. Ninth best team in the National Football League. Moving to number eight, they don't move a spot from last week. It is the San Francisco 49ers. Kind of hard to punish a team when they didn't play last week. Niners are the eighth best team in the NFL, and here's why. So, I am optimistic about San Francisco coming into this week and coming into uh, the second half of their season coming off of the bye. I think Brock Purdy, Kyle Shanahan off on this three-game losing streak will kind of recalibrate where they're at. Uh, you know, to put Brock Purdy in better positions to succeed. Uh, get Trent Williams back healthy, which is going to be really key for them. Get Devo Samuel back healthy. Really, for San Francisco, the optimistic thing for them is, A, it's still a fantastic roster. That's Don't let the three-game losing streak blind you for the fact that this is a very, very talented football team. We've seen what they can do at their apex. Um, if not for a missed field goal in Cleveland, they're 6-2 and two and in the brace to get the one seed still. So you give props to the 49ers in that regard. What I think is big for San Francisco, McCaffrey gets healthy on the bye. Trent Williams, you hope to get him back soon. Debo Samuel, the Snyder's defense is still very talented with Fred Warner, Nick Bosa. They added Chase Young. That feels kind of big. Chase Young is going to flourish with that Niners pass rush, as virtually every Niners pass rusher does. So the 49ers, I still have them as the eighth best team in the NFL. To number seven, if I can find them. To number seven, they also, if I'm doing this correctly, yeah, they also, uh, well, actually they moved down a spot because somebody moved up. The Jacksonville Jaguars, the seventh best team in the National Football League, and here is why. So they're playing San Francisco on Sunday and what I think is, you know, in a, a weekend of some... Kind of mid-games, this is the best one, Jacksonville and San Francisco, 1 p.m. Eastern uh, in Jacksonville. But the Jaguars only moved down a spot because somebody else jumped them. But they're coming off a bye as well. Longest winning streak in the NFL. You wouldn't know it given the coverage surrounding Trevor Lawrence. All this negativity, acting like he's not one of the three or four best quarterbacks in the league at his high, at his peak. Travis Etienne has run the football very effectively. Uh, one of the best rushers in the NFL. The Jacksonville Jaguars defense, of which I had concerns about coming into the season. This is big for them. Number one, numero uno in the NFL in 
takeaways. So they've set up the offense in the short fields, put them in position to cash in in the red zone and otherwise the defense has scored touchdowns this season. So when you look at what they put together offensively, Doug Peterson coming off of a bye will have a good game plan. That's why I can't play for this game. Two great coaches, uh, a great quarterback and an excellent quarterback uh, coming off of a bye week. This should be a fantastic matchup in Jacksonville. But I've got the Jaguars for that reason as the seventh best team in the NFL. Jacksonville, number seven in the National Football League. At number six, it is the Detroit Lions. They drop a spot again because somebody else jumped them. Detroit, the sixth best team in the National Football League, and here is why. So, again, we, we cannot let your overall body of work matters. It just does. We can't let that loss to Baltimore, which we see Baltimore's doing this to a lot of teams, blind us from the fact that Jared Goff is still top 10 in virtually every offensive statistical category in terms of touchdown passes, yards, completion percentage, etc. He's also not turning the football over uh, this season. He did have a pick six against the, uh, the Raiders, so you have to dial that back a little bit if you're the Detroit Lions, but they're playing tremendous football. Jameer Gibbs, uh, this is a Lions team that's capable of, of scoring 40 on you any given Sunday, especially if they're playing in Detroit. They're a dangerous offense at home, only one loss at home to this point this year. They're still in the race. If you look at their schedule for the number one seed and this defense with Aiden Hutchinson, Alex Anzalone and company uh, has been consistently been one of the better ones in the NFL. Now, Detroit does need to capitalize more in the red zone. They had three trips in the red zone their last game against the Vegas Raiders. Uh, did not cash in until their fourth trip in the red zone. So they got to be able to be more efficient in that regard. But Dan Campbell, Ben Johnson, this is a very well-coached team on both sides of the ball. They're ready to play week in, week out. And again, that speaks to, to the coach and the coaching staff. The Lions are the sixth best team in the National Football League. Two number five, breaking back into the top five for the first time since earlier this season. It is the Cincinnati Bengals. Don't love to say that as a Steelers fan, but I got to be honest and objective. Cincinnati uh, flies up uh, two spots. They were number seven last week, number five this week. They are easily the most dangerous team, the last team if you're an AFC team that you want to face at this point in the season and certainly once the postseason rolls around again with a healthy Joe Burrow, the worst uh, season, and it's only been two and really three to this point with a healthy Burrow, is an AFC title game loss at the gun against the Kansas City Chiefs and Arrowhead. So with that said, Joe Burrow since coming back from, from injury, or since, since really uh, getting healthy from the calf injury, has been absolutely lights out. Over 300 yards passing and multiple touchdowns against the 49ers. Over 300 yards passing, a passer rating well over 100 against a very good Buffalo Bills defense. Jamar Chase, Higgins. Now, they're dealing with injuries. Higgins and Chase. Chase dealing with a back injury right now. A little bit of a concern for Cincinnati. You hope he can get that straightened out uh, sooner rather than later. But this Bengals defense, y'all, is, is, is legit. Again, we talked about what the Vikings have done on the defensive side of the ball, but we look at Cincinnati has done as well. It is truly impressive uh, in this four-game winning streak. So they gave up 20 to Arizona. Again, that's a Josh Dobbs-led Arizona team. 13, only 13 to the Seattle Seahawks, which has a great wide receiver trio. 17 to the high-powered Niners offense and 18 to Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs. Again, Allen and Stephon Diggs only had 10 points until there was about three and a half minutes to go. So the Spangles defense, great pass rush, really good secondary, which has surprised me a little bit this year. But Cincinnati, to me, the fifth best team in the NFL and Joe Burrow is very much back. Watch out for the Bengals. At number four, it is the Dallas Cowboys. Dallas drops a spot from last week. The Cowboys, the fourth best team in the NFL, and here is why. So, you know, again, I, I don't want to sound like the guy who's talking about moral victories. At the end of the day, Herman Edwards said it best. You play to win the game. Okay, Dallas, at the end of the day, 
situationally was not good down the red zone when they got to the six-yard line, ended up running their last play from the 30 with under 30 seconds left in that game against Philadelphia. That said, Dak Prescott over his last three games have been has been absolutely marvelous. A pass rating of over 100 in all three. Uh, no turn, or I'm sorry, one turnover in the last three games. So he's played clean football. He's played efficient football. Completion percentage is off the chain. Pass rating is excellent. So is his QBR. CD Lamb and Dak Prescott have, have, have really evolved into, I could argue, one of the three or four best wide receiver quarterback combos in all of football. Now, this Cowboys defense give, did, did give up 28 to Philadelphia, obviously, to be mentioned a little later on um, Bryce's best. 10, but Jalen Hurts played pretty well. Uh, but listen, they did shut out Philly when they needed to. They shut out Philly in the fourth quarter. Problem is the offense for Dallas just couldn't get it done uh, at the very, very end, although it was an admirable effort. Uh, outside of Terrence Steele, this Cowboys offensive line played well. Tyron Smith, you could still, even despite the fact he's 13 years into his career, you could still feel his presence. Again, I have some questions about whether or not Dallas is a true number two receiver, but, but uh Jake Ferguson seems to be kind of finding his role in the offense. Tony Pollard, need to get him more involved. Uh, hasn't had 60 yards uh, rushing since week two of the season, so need to get him involved more uh, in the offense. Or I think since week three, rather. Uh, but Dak is playing out of his mind. The offensive line has shown improvement, and you've seen you've seen a true change from McCarthy in the play calling in terms of let Dak be Dak. You know, let Dak cook to a certain extent. Let him get out of the pocket. It's when he's at his best. That's why he's part of the reason why he's played so well the last few weeks. The Cowboys are the fourth best team in the National Football League. At number three, it's the defending champions who move up a spot. It is the Kansas City Chiefs. Kansas City, the third best team in the NFL, and here's why. So, again... They score 21 points, although 14 of those were offensive against the Dolphins defense that we do have some questions about, although I do think Miami is kind of a turning corner defensively, getting Xavier Howard back and Jalen Ramsey back from injury. But for Kansas City, we've seen this before. Two years ago in November of 2021, folks, they were, go back and look. I talked about this on Monday. They were struggling to break 20. They're barely getting into the teens against some average to below average defenses in 2021. And then in December, late November, early December, they turned it on. Travis Kelsey got going. Mahomes with... We saw this last year, getting guys like Justin Watson, Sky Moore. This year, Rasheed Rice involved. Again, the only difference between this year's receiving core and last year is that there's no Juju Smith-Schuster. Well, is Juju tearing it up in New England? I don't think so. Kansas City also. And this, I never thought I'd say this in the Mahomes era, but it's a credit to Brett Beach and the job they've done drafting, uh, bringing in some new defensive players. Kansas City, number two in the NFL in scoring defense. So if the concern for the Chiefs is offense, I'm going to go out on a limb and say they're going to be fine. Kansas City's defense led by Chris Jones defensively in the backfield of Trent McDuffie. By the way, Nick Bolton's not even playing right now. We saw the impact he had on the Super Bowl win against Philadelphia and the, the way he's played this season. Uh, so I've got the Kansas City Chiefs right now as the third best team in the National Football League. At number two is a team that they're going to be playing after they both teams got their bye. Number two, it is the Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles are the second best team in the NFL, and here is why. So again, by the way, Philly does not move from where they were at last week. Last week, I also had them at number two. So, interesting stat about Philadelphia. So, their defense and their pass defense has been abysmal this season. But the good news, if you are an Eagles fan and you will never catch me dead in an Eagles jersey, uh, if I could pull up this stat on Philadelphia because it is quite fascinating. It seems like we don't have it, unfortunately. Hang on. Uh, because it was... 
it was pretty impressive. No, it looks like it was. We don't have it, but uh, I, I can't quote it from memory. They were top ten in virtually all st- statistical categories offensively in terms of points scored, in terms of passing yards per game. Uh, now, the only question is Jalen Hurts has been a little bit loose with the football. He has fumbled multiple times this season. Uh, but again, if you look at their overall roster makeup, it's tremendous. Best offensive line in the league, and it's not even close. Jason Kelsey having an unbelievable season. By the way, nominated for sexiest man alive. So, alive, so congratulations, Jason. Uh, Jalen Hurts. Playing through injury, that's the only concern for Philadelphia is, man, is Jalen Hurts right? I don't think so. A.J. Brown, though, still one of the two or three best receivers in the sport. Uh, Philadelphia's front seven is excellent. Their back end is awful. That's my question for the Eagles. However, I think they have the second-best roster in the NFL to the team I have today. At number one, back-to-back weeks, the best team in the NFL is the Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens sucks. It makes me want to throw up as a Steelers fan. But the Ravens today are the best team in all football. Here's why. So Baltimore, if you look at what they're doing in terms of uh, uh, defense and offense, we'll get to that in just a second. But defensively, the Baltimore Ravens are number one in the NFL scoring defense. And Ravens fans out there, my man Devin, shout out to Devin at the Bank Podcast. Uh, my guy, Devin, other Ravens fans out there, you're like this. The last time the Ravens in a single season, in the regular season, led the league in scoring defense was the 2000 Ravens defense, which of course won the Super Bowl. And personally, I think it's the greatest defense that's ever been assembled. So I thought Baltimore's defense would be good. Didn't think it'd be the best in the league. Lamar Jackson, despite how how good are you as a team when Lamar Jackson plays really well, but doesn't account for any touchdowns on the day. You play the division leader five and two Seahawks and you give up, defensively, you give up three points, and even more impressive, six first downs. And offensively, of course, you drop 37 on their heads. Todd Munkin has changed this Ravens offense even more so than I thought he would. Lamar, to me, ever so slightly, but is today the MVP frontrunner. Ravens today, the best team in the NFL. I hate to say it. Real quick, okay, I've got the stat. I apologize for this earlier. The stat on Philadelphia, I, I meant to, to mention. So they are first, I'm sorry, Philadelphia is second in the NFL in points per game, third in total yards per game, seventh in pass yards per game, seventh in rush yards per game. So Philadelphia could do, do it all offensively. We've seen that through the first nine games and even last season. So that's why I have Philly too. And that's, by the way, why I have the Ravens. The Ravens today are the best team in the National Football League. That is Bryce's best 10 going into week 10. Some comments here. Let me get a drink of Gatorade real quick. All right. My old oh, my man Philip Chanel's comments. What's up, Philip? In all caps. How about them Cowboys? He's got the and he's got he's got crying emojis. I'm sorry. Philip's a big Cowboys fan. Uh we we text all the we text all the time during games in general. We text certainly during during Cowboys games as you you all know out there, uh, and even if you don't know, I'm a Dak, big Dak Prescott fan, former Cowboy fan, but still pull Dak. So we talk during games often. But uh, listen, I, I think Philip Cowboys Nation. Hey, I got you fourth. I think you're the four best team in the league. You know, Jerry Jones said this um, that uh, on the radio that if Dak Prescott plays like this, we can win a Super Bowl. And people are like, "Yeah, but you lost to Philadelphia." Here's a stat for y'all: When Dak has a passer rating of 115, which he did against the Eagles. He's 20 and one Sunday was his first loss, but Jerry is right. If Dak plays like that consistently, and I don't know if it's realistic to ask him for throw for 374 and three touchdowns, not turn the ball over. But if he plays close to that level or at, or heck, I'm not sure it's, 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 it's possible to go above and above that level. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he can take Dallas to Super Bowl, which I've been saying 
all season long and all of Dak's career, but uh, who's who's counting? Quickly, and I mean quickly, I'm going to try and do this in like YouTube short form. Put the background music back on. Tomorrow night, you got a Thursday night game. It's a sad one, really. Carolina Panthers, Chicago Bears, two of the five worst teams in all professional football. Panthers won seven. Bears are two and seven. Bears can be optimistic of the fact that even if they win some games that they don't really want to win, they still have Carolina's pick. And Carolina, again, tied for the worst record in all football. But the Bears are three and a half point favorites at home. So, again, team, home teams get the three points. So, they're saying these teams are pretty evenly matched as bad teams. So, I don't expect quarterback play to be good. For Bryce, his offensive line receivers are awful. For Tyson Bajant, who it looks like he's going to make his third start of the season tomorrow against the... I'm sorry, his fourth start of the season uh, this time against the Carolina Panthers, who don't have a very good defense. Uh, I'll roll with Chicago. I'll roll with the home team. They get their second Thursday night win of the year and their third win overall. Uh, Matt Eberflus in the hot seat, certainly, but I'll take the Bears as quickly as I can. 20-16. to 16. So that was the score last week between my Steelers and the Titans. I think we're going to have the exact same score. Bears 20 and Panthers 16. I, I don't even want to give <laughs> I don't even want to give that the the time of day. Will I watch it is going to be the question. I guess I have to because maybe I'm I'll mention it on the show tomorrow. I I listen, Friday shows are always loaded. Full full transparency, Volview, NFL picks, if I were Batman, Bryce's bleak bet, and upset of the week. But that's it. By the way, I've got a good candidate for upset of the week, and I'm I'm telling you, there is not a game this season that I have been more confident in for if I were a bet man than the game I've got for Sunday. But you'll have to tune in for Friday. Real quick, got a couple of comments and then we'll get out of here. Uh, Parnell says, never thought a Tennessee fan would support Will Levis, especially him putting mayo on his coffee. Well, first of all, in defense of Levis and then in defense of myself, in defense of Levis, he said to Al Michaels, to Kirk Herbstreet on Amazon, I was watching the game, obviously the other night when they were playing my Steelers, he said it was a joke. Okay, I, I mean, I don't anticipate he he drinks that every day, but still, it was weird. In defense of myself, in defense of myself, okay, Parnell, I still think the Titans should have taken Hendon Hooker. Now, Hendon is probably not going to be available this season. I, actually, I'm not even sure what Hendon's status is. Uh, health-wise, obviously, at the ACL tear last year in South Carolina, it was one of the low points I've had as a Tennessee fan, and certainly, more importantly, it was it was a, a terrible moment for, for Hendon because he was going to win the Heisman Trophy. Uh, she'll still should have gotten an invite to New York, but that's, that's fine. I'm, I'm not bitter, but yeah, I, I, Levis has been fantastic his first two games, but again, we need to see more. We listen, Jordan Love looked good in his first two games. We see how he looks now. These coordinators get film on you. Levis has been known to be a little reckless with the ball, a little bit, likes to show off his arm a little bit, which most guys with big arms like to show it off. Zach Wilson has this. I would say this about Justin Herbert. He, he's like the big arm guy that I'm like, dude, throw it down the field more. Some of that is because of Kellen Moore. Uh, he doesn't like Herbert. And by the way, the previous offensive coordinator didn't like him to throw the ball down the field either, which is mind-boggling to me He's because he's one of the best deep passers in the league. But uh, that's kind of where I'm at in Will Levis. Parnell also says, I actually like Trevor, but Trevor hasn't been playing that well. He hasn't been playing to MVP level. I would agree with you, Parnell. I think to act like he's been playing bad or average is 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 mistaken throughout this part of the season. Again, we're, 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 we're going to see San Francisco, by the way, in that game against Jacksonville is a 3 point road favorite but look Trevor's almost thrown for two two thousand yards only four turn uh turnovers on the year you know am I gonna punish a quarterback because Travis Etienne's playing well I'll tell you when the Jaguars and they haven't had to do this much because they've run the football effectively and their defense has taken the ball away a lot 
So they've had short fields. But there will be a game, and I, my guess is it'll be as soon as Sunday because how good that Niners def, uh, defense is and how good that Niners offense can, can score quickly. If Trevor Lawrence, if the Jaguars ask him to win the game, saw him do it multiple times last season. Saw him do it against Dallas, against the Chargers. Heck, nearly, he probably should have done it against Kansas City, but he got a bunch of drops by Christian Kirk and company. There was a fumble there at the goal line that game. So I'm sticking by Trevor. These, these, you can do special things. And yes, I would take him over CJ Stroud. All right, that is all the time here for today. For today's show, thanks everybody for stopping by. Be sure to catch Carving Up Live, a loaded show Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific time, right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. And you know, you guys know what to do. Be sure to like, share, comment, and take two seconds out of your day. Hit that big red subscribe button. Helps the channel grow exponentially. Again, we're trying to get to 1,000 subscribers by Super Bowl 58, with 58, which is February the 11th. We just surpassed 500 literally this past weekend. Talked about it on Monday's show. I can't thank y'all enough for the support. Again, the fact that you would take the, take the time out of y'all's day to tune into my show, to watch my show, and to go so far to subscribe to the show uh, means the world to me. I'm trying to, again, try to grow the show trying to grow my platform and uh the interaction this is why i love doing carving up live for almost three years now i've done the show i've done the show over four and i've done it live nearly three this coming january but the opportunity to interact with you through the comments especially on live shows like live reaction it's 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 like the equivalent of radio host taking phone calls like that it, it truly truly means the world so thank you thank you thank you so much uh really really appreciate it of course again be sure to subscribe to carving it up if you're on youtube that button right right down there using the my offhand but right down there one that says subscribe it's red hit it become part of the carving it up family we greatly appreciate it. And of course be sure to subscribe to the grid network that is g-r-y-d the grid podcast network right here on youtube as well as any and everywhere you get your favorite podcast be it apple podcast spotify iHeartRadio, google podcast any and everywhere you get your favorite podcast before we get out of here i got a comment uh from uh, my man john rivera well f- first philip says prime chad henny or cj stroud uh hey chad henny you know anything is possible he was big for kansas city but obviously stroud uh john rivera i, I did want to acknowledge this before i get out of here uh, i usually don't take comments when i'm doing my outros but john john says the champ is here which is accurate because john john not to spoil anything but last night won the eight o'clock spot it was his third appearance fan perspective podcast shout out to john rivera big supporter of carving up live more importantly i consider a true friend and uh you know listen I, i'm the judge of the show i am the no judges i don't want to i don't sound like that official the moderator of the show and and the uh and ca- tallying the points for the eight, eight o'clock spot every tuesday night by the way 8 p.m eastern 5 p.m pacific time on the grit network's youtube channel and twitter account john rivera the champ is here as he says in the comments uh he won last night dethroned the defending champion that week's defending champion mike guido so congratulations to john john and looking forward to a great episode of eight o'clock spot again next weekend or not next weekend next tuesday at 5 p.m uh, pacific 8 p.m eastern time definitely check that out all right see y'all on friday great week of sports cannot wait see y'all then please stay safe out there please be sure to take care of your physical as well as your mental health and please 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 be sure to contact your local state representatives and senators to demand change for gun violence in america we just had some elections yesterday obviously we'll have one next year if if they don't want to keep people safe you vote them out or you vote for somebody different but while they're in office make your voice heard Tell them about your 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 problems, and certainly, I it, gun violence is is a is a cause near and dear to, to to me. So, 
please contact those who can who can make change. See y'all on Friday. Volview is going to be a good one. I'm just telling you right now, upset of the week is going to be a good one. If I were a bet man, it's going to be a really good one. Tune in then. Stay safe out there. God bless you all. Peace out. And Otani Watch may be coming soon. Stay tuned. Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube. And be sure to go click that big red subscribe button and check out the other clips and full shows from Carving It Up Live as well as our other incredible content creators here on the Grid Network.